0: Hello and welcome back to First Act, a podcast series from Koshy's Business Builders. I'm Sess Busby.
1: And I'm Adam Bubb.
0: And now on First Act, we dig into the origin stories of Australia's most fascinating founders. And we've had some brilliant conversations this season, haven't we?
1: Yeah, we sure have, Sess. Now, we absolutely love bringing you these frank conversations about the light bulb moments, the didn't see them coming curveballs, and all the unmissable learnings of movers and shakers in business and life. If you love us, why not pop a five-star review wherever you're listening to this podcast? Now, Sess, tell us about today's first act, Hero.
0: Anita Sarkar co-founded Hero Packaging in 2018 after being shocked at the amount of plastic packaging used to ship products for her previous business, Olivia & Co. She and husband Vic made it their mission to save the earth one compostable mailer at a time. Since then, they've sold more than 15 million mailers to over 40,000 businesses globally. Then in 2021, Anita published her first book, Sell Anything Online, and she shares seriously helpful e-commerce and marketing tips with nearly 300,000 TikTok followers. She's an accomplished podcast host, a guest lecturer at Macquarie University, and a member of DWEN, the Dell Women's Entrepreneur Network. Welcome to First Act,
2: Anita. Thank you, guys. I am so excited to be here.
1: Anita, thank you so much for joining us on First Act. We are so excited to have you with us. Now, We always start the podcast with um, a first act, Icebreaker, which I know that you're aware of because you have been listening. Thank you. Uh, So your question for today is what fictional character from a book, movie or TV show uh, do you relate to the most?
2: I would say um, in terms of a movie, there is one of my favorite movies, which is Vicky Cristina Barcelona. And that is where two (laughs) girls go to Spain for a holiday. And there is a girl in that movie. I think it's Cristina, if I'm not mistaken. And she is in this really stable relationship. She knows what she wants. She's about to go get it. And then her whole life Changes when she goes on this holiday. She meets someone. Her friend has all these different ideas, and it really is like me because I, I feel like I really have gone from that really stable upbringing where I know where I what, what I needed to do, and then I just changed everything last minute.
1: Wow! So you flipped the script.
2: Totally. Yeah,
1: that is a great note to start on. So I think let's let's get into your first act because. You have always been a go-getter with big ideas. Now, was it always the case growing up?
2: Absolutely not. No, I was very much a do as I was told kind of person. I was brought up with um, a doctor mum and an IT specialist dad. And so it was very much you do this, you work hard, you study hard, you go through school and you end up being an accountant, a lawyer or a doctor and that was it. So the big ideas, they didn't start until later in life.
0: You just mentioned your mum being a doctor and you came to Australia as a child. Your mum had to reset her exams so that she could practice. Then she opened her own business as soon as she could, her own medical practice. What are your kind of memories of those early days of your mum going into business for herself?
2: It was a very difficult time for us. So I don't have any siblings. So it was my dad, my mum, and me. And my mum would work all day and then she would have to study at night. And it was overnight work, overnight study, and it would, there was never really a break from anything. Uh, I remember seeing my mum go off to the hospital to work, and every night I would say to my dad, like, does she have to go? I've got a toothache. Please take me back to my mum. I want to be there <laughs> with her. I want to sleep there. And um, you just want your mum all the time. And I think it was at that time when we thought, are we actually going to make it? I remember them having to sell their first car because they needed the money to pay for other things. And I, I just think, are we going to make it? I remember my mum and dad always having that argument, like, should we go back? Are we going to make it here? Um, so it was a very difficult time.
0: Oh my gosh, that's such a lot to be kind of exposed to as a child, like to have that, I don't even know what it is, that uncertainty. Yeah. And for your parents as well to have that uncertainty, you know, they've made this big decision to come over yes. to another country and start a new life and then the challenges of that. How do you think that impacted you? Um, growing up?
2: I needed to just work really hard. I think what I, I really loved about the your previous episode with Roxy and what she said was what you do, you've got to just do be the best at it. And I remember thinking if I do well at school and I'm the best at it, then my mum and dad will be proud but I'll also be okay and I'll be set up financially. And I remember thinking from a young age, that's all I need to do. Whatever I do, just work really hard, just be super dedicated and you will be okay.
1: Mm. Well, like, I think it, it's so powerful when you think about like the classic kind of migrant story in Australia. I come from a migrant family and, you know, your family migrated from India, mine mm-hmm. um, from South Africa and the European background and they it's that same sort of thing, you know, that drive going, well, you know, we have to make it work. Yes. You know, you don't really have much. You go, okay, well, it all starts with you, you know. You have that really strong work ethic from a young age.
2: It's a survival instinct. Yeah. There is no thriving in that period, mm-hmm. right? So 10 years, I think, and, uh, that's the initial part of where you're just surviving. You just need food. You just need shelter. You just need the basics. And then after that, if it goes okay, then you can start thriving.
1: So, so when we're talking about thriving, what was your first job? And, um, and what would you say you learned from it?
2: My first job was working at my mum's surgery as her receptionist and I would have to greet the patients. I would have to put their appointments into the calendar. I would have to tell them to go in and meet my mum and then uh, I'd make them sign. And that was my entire job. And the hardest thing about that job for me was explaining or convincing people to go and see my mum because she was an Indian with an accent. Really? Yes. Uh, that was one of the I think that was a huge part of my receptionist abilities to convince people and it's actually this, the time I started to consciously change my accent so that people uh, would feel comfortable going and seeing my mum. It was about, one, being female was a big thing mm. and the second thing was an Indian or a, an immigrant being a doctor.
0: Oh, wow, so a lot of bias. You were just exposed yeah. to that from a really young age. Absolutely. Wow. Um can we jump forward a little bit? So you've been doing reception work for your mum and now you've finished school. It's time to decide what you're going to do with your life. Um, Coming from a migrant background, there's all that pressure, you know, got to be successful, got to do the right thing by family. You go into accounting.
2: Yes, (laughs) of course. Like,
0: (laughs) was was that really the right decision for you? And then... um, when did you realise? Maybe not.
2: <laughs> I have no regrets of that time of my life. I absolutely was terrible at it. Um, it wasn't for me. I but I did stick at it for six years. I when I was in year twelve, you are meant to choose the career path for the rest of your life, which I to this to this day is what you're supposed to do, and I don't agree with it. But I chose it because my mum came home one day and she said. Annie, you know, um, you must, you must go into accounting. I've heard of a cadetship. You must go. So I went, right, I'll go for an interview. And I did that. And I went for an interview. I got the job and I thought, great, I'll go to uni. I'll be an accountant. And that's that. That'll be my life. I'll maybe one day become a partner of an accounting firm and that'll be my life. And I, uh, yeah. And I got there and I started to do auditing and it was terrible for me. And I'll tell you why it was terrible. And it's because, when you work at a big corporate or a big firm, you are not part of the big picture. You you know when they talk about being a cog – it, you are, but it's because they don't explain the big picture to you. You don't get to see what happens when you do a controls test or when you do an analytics report. They get That gets sent to your manager and they have a meeting with the partner and they discuss what happens. You don't know what happens, so you're not motivated enough to keep going or feeling like your work is important enough. And so that was my first job. I was studying, I was working full-time, um, and I stayed there for a good six years. And then I realised when I got yelled at, in front of everybody that it was the time to quit and I needed to try something new.
0: And what was it that made you decide marketing was the next step?
2: because I didn't know what else to do. I actually went through a list of careers and I thought, no psychology, no this, no, should I go back into medicine? No, I don't want to, I didn't want to do any of those things. And I saw marketing I, at uni, I had done really well in my marketing subjects. And I thought, yep, I'm just going to do my master's of marketing. Maybe they will get me a job in marketing. And so that's what I did
0: just going to do my masters of marketing yeah.
1: make it all sound so <laughs> casual and so easy you know like oh you know that was that was no thing it's like it is a lot of work a well, well, big
2: thing remember that i was feeling like a failure so it was a big thing because i i th- I'm making it sound so trivial now, but I was feeling like I'm failing because I quit my accounting job. I had done my accounting degree. I hated it and I'd quit. And I thought to myself, what am I doing? And so I had to do some kind of something for myself to make me feel like I'm achieving something. So what were
0: your parents thinking at this
2: point? They were worried. They were really, really worried at that point.
1: Yeah, It's funny, in our culture, we really need to get away from the, you know, that idea that, you are that like if you switch careers or if you if you take a different path then that that is that you failed at whatever you did before mm. because it's it's what that kind of you wouldn't know to get onto the path that you're on now that you needed to do that
2: absolutely i think as well that in that time, and this was we're going back 12, 13 years ago, it really wasn't the startup mentality. It's a and GFC. Yes, it was. It was. It was a very difficult time for everyone.
0: Oh, no wonder your mum was like, yeah. Annie, what are you doing? Yeah.
2: <laughs> a couple of years later down the track, you've
1: got marketing, you know, marketing experience. You worked for some places then. And then you get to 2016 and you're launching Olivia & Co. Yes. Your first business. Mm-hmm. What was the seed of that? How did that come about?
2: I was in a marketing role at a telecommunications firm and I hated it. And I, I think that's how everything starts, when you just dislike something and you want to make a change. And the difference with me, and this is something that my parents had to get used to too, is that when I know I want something or don't want something, I, I go for it straight away. I don't think about it too much. So, of course, I quit that job. Um, and I decided that, okay, look, some personalised goods were trending at that time. If I can jump on that trend and start to sell things in places where other people weren't selling them, I could make some money. And if I can do that, and I was pregnant at the time, if I could do that and make money and also look after a kid, if it works, that would be amazing. And so that's when that idea started.
0: And do you think that um, coming from the fact that you had a a degree in accounting, you had a master's in marketing, like business owners have to wear lots of hats, Mm -hmm in a way you had some of those hats already in place. Did you put a lot of that experience that you already had from your past roles into Olivia & Co. when you were starting up?
2: No, I would say, <laughs> what no. I <laughs> no, because I'll tell you this, you know, when you're doing a uni degree, how much of it you remember, it, it's not much, right? What, what you do remember is the dedication. Because if you want to get the pass. So P's get degrees, right? So if you want to get that pass, it's just dedication. It's not about motivation. It's not about learning the numbers and and remembering all the tables and things. It's dedication and you study and you get it. So that dedication and working hard um, and all the experience I had even working for mom and then all those other jobs, that dedication is what made Olivia Co go well because I wanted to make sure it worked. I did not want to go back and work for someone else and take that step backwards.
1: So degrees equal dedication. So,
2: <laughs> Correct. That's
1: very very important. Um, so Olivia and Co grew really quickly and became a hit on. And like you said, you you were you were trying you were selling on places that weren't as you know the other others weren't. You were going on eBay and Etsy and, and right. other places. That's where a lot of the growth happened. Um, what was the steepest learning curve um, from from that first e-commerce experience?
2: That not everyone is going to buy from you just because you launch a product and I never told my friends and family about it. I was very embarrassed but when I did, um, I was like, oh, maybe they'll buy something from me and no, no one's going to do you favours. You actually have to sell yourself. Uh, You have to sell those products yourself. It has to be, there's a lot that goes into just selling one product. Every product that was sold, it took me so much time to sell each and every one of them and thinking about the process and then thinking, you know, how am I going to account for it? How am I going to do the marketing for it? How am I going to keep these customers happy? I think it was just all of a sudden learning that you need to do everything and not just one controls test like I was doing in my accounting firm.
0: (laughs) But still the business was super successful and yet despite that you decide to leave it. Why?
2: I decided to leave it because I was pregnant with my third kid and when I'm pregnant in that first trimester, I am feeling sick and I hated everything to do with work and I hated anything and I just wanted to lie in bed all day and I remember thinking if I don't create content for Olivia & Co, if I am not actively working to get those sales, the business is going to fail and I was thinking should I pause it, should I sell it, what should I do with it? We already had started Hero Packaging and that was growing exponentially fast. And I thought there needs to be a solution here. I'm getting burnt out. I've got the two kids. I'm pregnant with my third. I'm not going to be able to manage all of this stuff. And so that's the reason I decided if I'm going to let something go, it was going to be my first business. Mm.
0: So you just mentioned Hero Packaging. So it could be a good time to dive into that a little bit. What was the moment for you that, you know, the aha moment, as they say, that made you realise here are packagings, a go, this is what I want to do for my next venture.
2: There were a few aha moments. I was never actually looking to start another business. What I was doing is trying to find this solution to my previous business because I was sending everything in plastic packaging and there were orders where we were sitting at 60 or 80 orders and it was just in a room full of plastic waiting for the postie to come and pick them up. And I thought, this isn't right. Something is really, really wrong here. And I actually took that, and I went home, and I thought I could research something. And I thought, what if I brought out boxes? What if I th- brought out paper? None of those things worked. So I thought, I'm going to look into this myself. And it, and that was that took a ni- That was a nine month process of researching different manufacturers and suppliers, and seeing who could make something that looked like plastic, and it wasn't. It was it's compostable and and mainly plant derived.
1: We'll hear more from Anita about the genesis of Hero Packaging and sell anything online after this quick break.
2: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com tech.
1: We're back with Anita Sarkar. Now, Anita, how much, if at all, did having a family impact your desire to launch a business that is sustainable and has a social conscience?
2: That is a great question. I wasn't actually an eco-warrior at all when I started the business, but after starting it, I knew that what we were doing in our lifestyle wasn't good enough. So it was actually hero packaging that turned us as a family into more of, I guess you would call us eco-warriors in that we really try and minimize waste. We try and um, not take any plastic bags anywhere. We don't use, you know, disposable straws and cups and things like that.
0: Single-use plastic in this past week. New South Wales finally has got on board with axing single-use plastic bags about time, I think. For Hero Packaging, that's an enormous opportunity, isn't it? Like this could be potential for massive growth for your business. So how have you prepared for that? Because it's been coming for a while with businesses have known that that that's got to go. Have you been kind of having that in the back of your mind with your plans for the business?
2: Absolutely. I think, you know, when they cancel that, New South Wales is the last state to do so. So it's now Australia wide and that is amazing to see. What they're doing is they're taking it in steps. And so they're actually doing lightweight plastic bags and uh, lightweight this and that. And they really, really need to just eliminate single use plastic once and for all. And it's coming. It's just not there yet. So in terms of preparing for it, we knew that the product that we had was going to be okay because we don't have any plastic in our products whatsoever. And I think in terms of that huge e-commerce growth that we're having, there are two factors at play. One was COVID and the pandemic and everyone's shopping online. And then the second thing is that they're banning single-use plastic bags. So for us as a business, it's grown super fast in the last two years.
0: Mm. It's just amazing that it's taken so long for New South Wales to get on board for one thing. But just or well, the government <laughs> to just mandate something. Well, that literally that we do have to have a mandate for people to wake up and realise single-use plastic, bad. It's just crazy. It's funny though
1: because like, it has been a couple of years now of people really being very conscious. So like you, you were very conscious of it through running a business where you were sending these mailers out every day, but that consciousness was something that people have been feeling and changing their habits around for quite a few years now.
2: Yeah, it's been a long time. I think, you know, now everyone's kind of getting on board, but the government is quite slow to act on it. But, you know, we can't expect a lot all the time so fast. Everything needs to happen right now with us. But I think we also need to realise that there are so many things that they need to go through. These big companies have contracts and supply chains and they need to change that. And so while it is a slow step, it's a great first step. I think we've just got to be happy with that and just make sure that by 2025 we're all doing the right thing.
0: Mm. Now, just to go off on a new tangent, um, you're a family business. Yes. You you work with your husband. How is that? What are the challenges in, in working so closely with someone who's your partner in business and in life?
2: We started dating when I was 16 years old. And so it it just works that he knows when I need a little bit of my time and he I know when he needs his own time. And we have separate offices, we do separate things. So while I would love to sort of um, gossip a little bit about how annoying he is, it works really well for us because we get to manage the businesses together, the kids together, and we have our individual responsibilities for each of those things, even household chores. When we've got to get those things done, we each have our thing to do. And I think because we've kind of grown up together, it just works in that we know when we need space, we know when we need to have, a meeting to discuss stuff. Um, so it, it's actually worked out quite nicely.
0: And um, you mentioned uh, the impetus for leaving uh, Olivia & Co. You know, you're pregnant, you're getting um, terrible nausea or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> um, you, You've got hero packaging bubbling along in the background, but that's not the only thing that happened. You also started writing.
2: Right, I did. Yes.
0: <laughs> so why did you realise now's the time for me to put pen to paper? Even though I'm super pregnant – so got all these other things going on, You're but pregnant I, I, with
1: ideas. Yes.
2: Too. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. Uh, look, I, I like I said when I have an idea for something, I think I just get it done. I, it's one of the things where it, it's a it's a curse as well as a blessing. Where I wanted to do this because I realized there are just some strategies that if you apply it to any business, you can literally sell anything online. And I realized that I used those strategies for Olivia and Co. And I used them again for Hero, and it grew exponentially faster. And I thought, well, now Now's the time when I'm sitting in bed and I'm feeling sick and I have to run to the bathroom to throw up, I can absolutely sit in on my laptop and do work and write, even if it's just one page, two pages a day um, and get my thoughts down so that the business owners that already follow me, they can actually have a resource to sell their products online too. Mm.
0: It's amazing that you you decided to be so giving with your your advice and your knowledge because a lot of people kind of hold on to their stuff. They see like sharing their knowledge as competition. So it's 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 really admirable that you're so open with like, I've, I've got these ideas, there's this formula, this has worked for me. Why don't you try it?
2: Absolutely. I, I think that that is something that I love doing. It's a passion project of mine where it's talking to business owners every single day and just giving them everything that I can about marketing and PR and and how to actually grow their business. And it's really funny because I was one one day just looking at my TikTok followers and I realized that all of our competitors follow me too. Yeah. And I thought, wait a minute, maybe I'm doing the wrong thing because I'm giving them all of our marketing tips. But then I thought, no, because I'm already thinking ahead and wherever I am, they're just going to be there the next day and I'm already going to be ahead. So I'm I'm okay with that.
1: So, so yeah, you were talking about TikTok, and there's that definitely that pay it forward aspect in that you're paying your knowledge forward to that audience. Mm. And um, I know I've spoken to you before, and you said that how um, you, you know you, you went onto TikTok thinking I want to market my book. That, that's how I'm going to market, yeah. market, sell anything online. Why did you choose TikTok as a way to do that? And um, I mean, it's such uncharted territory for so many business owners and influencers. How did that? How did you choose that? And how did that explode?
2: So there are two reasons. One is I was too embarrassed, again, to tell my friends and family that I had written a book on marketing. And so TikTok was the only platform I knew that they were not on. And so I thought if I could start there and grow a following and then prove to them that it's actually doing well, then that'd be great. Then I'll start my Instagram account. And so when it actually did start to do that, and it started to grow, I thought, okay, great, now I can move back to Instagram and show people that I'm doing okay on that platform. I would say there was that aspect, but then also TikTok compared to Instagram is that TikTok has a reach that Instagram does not. When you post to Instagram, all you're doing is posting to your current followers. So if you have five followers, that's the only they're the only people who are going to see your content on tiktok it could be thousands if not hundreds of thousands of people who don't know you who might be interested in your stuff and that's how i sold through the books
1: so what is your advice for organically building an audience in a space that a lot of people from the outside think is just a bunch of 13 year olds doing dances which i i would hope that people have moved on from but mm. i think a lot of people still kind of don't understand tiktok
2: It's – TikTok is a a crazy beast because you can be on different sides of TikTok. If you want to be with 13-year-olds dancing, you can be watching that. They're the only videos you'll see, but it's such a sophisticated platform so that if you like someone who's talking about books or if you like someone who's talking about business – and you watch that video to the end, TikTok will automatically start showing you things that are more relevant to you. So that might be you know, women's fashion who is 45 to 55. It could be anything. It could be book talk that you're watching, but TikTok is very sophisticated. So I would say that if you are a business owner, you definitely need to be on the platform because you can reach people who are actually in your target market more than most other platforms.
1: Should business owners start by? Well, firstly, they should start by following sell anything online. Yes, but is there is there marketing talk? Is that is that something? What What do you follow?
2: Small business talk and and small business marketing and uh, marketing anything to do with being a business owner. That's the stuff that I see all the time. I would say when you start on the platform, it is. And I hate to say this because everyone rolls their eyes at me, but you need to be creating three to four pieces of content a day uh, consistently in order to grow. Because if you grow and you can build a following, you can sell your product and services very easily for free.
0: So how long does a piece of content need to be if I'm a business owner and I'm going,
2: ah, Anita said I need to do three to four things a day. What am I going to do? <laughs> Seven seconds. It can be seven seconds of you opening up a product or a package and that could be it with a trending sound or it could be you talking to camera saying that this is what I do for a living or this is how I started, this is my struggle, this is me as a business owner, this is a day in my life. There are so many different things you can do. You can start it at three seconds, seven seconds, you can go up to three minutes, ten minutes now. But I would say start at seven seconds. Do something really simple. Just show your product to to a trending sound. You don't know where that's going to go. I was actually talking to a business owner the other day and she was saying that she had just committed to one video a day and she was getting hundreds of views just, you know, here and there. And one day she did a Kevin Hart voiceover. She was just opening and closing a jacket um, and it went completely viral. I think half a million views and she sold out of all the kids' jackets. And that was just because she committed to that one video a day because they say that 5% 5% of your content will go viral. But if you're only making one every so often, you're not giving yourself the chance to actually get one of them to go viral.
0: Mm. And would you suggest people get on the platform and watch some stuff first so that they get an idea of... of- oh,
2: absolutely. You should, you should be consuming content before you create content.
0: Mm. Um, and with that in mind, I guess um, kind of leads a little bit into my next question, but not quite. But in terms of role modelling because, you know, watch the stuff and see what other people are doing and then gives you an idea of what you can do yourself. Mm-hmm. Then in terms of business ownership or entrepreneurship, um, having other female founders to look to or having other my entrepreneurs to look to can help you with your business journey. Is that something that you've found yourself? have? Have you had mentors or people that you've looked to? as you've moved on your entrepreneurial journey?
2: I am not closed off to anything. I will look at a 13-year-old dancing. I will look at a 45-year-old male giving business tips. I will look at anyone to source inspiration from. So I don't just look at female founders. I look at everybody because I can see what's working and what's not working I like to consume a lot of content. I'm reading marketing stuff. I'm watching TikTok. I'm on Instagram. I'm looking at people's stories. I'm seeing what's working because things are changing every day. So I take inspiration from a bunch of different sources.
0: Mm. And how much of uh, Hero Packaging's ethical, sustainable story is the reason for your success, do you think? Um, Because consumers are really leaning into that whole Mm -hmm. sustainability side of things nowadays. Has that really impacted how successful you've been?
2: I think what has impacted it is being very transparent with everything that I create on Hero Packaging. If you look at other, say, for example, packaging companies and the content they create or the emails that they write, it's very sales, it's very transactional. So people are just buying packaging from them. From us, it is they are buying from me. You know, when I write an email, it is from me. When I do a piece of content, I've literally gone into my home compost and taken out a hero pack with my bare hands and I'm showing people it breaking down in a compost bin. So it's very authentic, very much you are buying from me as a business owner and I'm I'm trying to do the best that I can. So I'll give you an example is that, you know, a couple of years ago, we had mailers which the sides weren't um, – the tops weren't sealed properly so they were splitting – And we had a few customers say that. Now, I know for a fact that a lot of our competitors had similar issues, um, but what we did was we came out and we just apologised publicly. We were very, very open. We replaced hundreds of thousands of mailers. We took them back. We composted them ourselves. um, And it was very much, we are sorry, we've made a mistake and we're going to fix it for you. But it was my face to camera. It was very much me saying it, not just words on paper.
1: That's so powerful in terms of like having brand authenticity that it, you can always see that it's the, the founder really, really cares and that they're right there. Uh, what advice would you have to founders who maybe are not as comfortable being a content creator? Because that's that's something that you're naturally extremely good at. But not every founder, like some founders really are. They want to be, oh, well, we've even touched, Ceci, we've been talking about the many hats that a business owner is wearing. What if content creator is not something that is not part of your arsenal or that you're not as keen to learn?
2: Well, there's two things here. One is, do you want to learn it? Are you just not... I don't think anyone's naturally good at it. I'm not. I've had to learn this and I've made so many mistakes. And I look back at my previous videos and think, what was I doing? (laughs) But I think that I have... Every time I make a video, I'm getting better and better and better. Even speaking here today, this is not natural for me. I, I cannot believe I am doing this. Uh, you know, all of this stuff is learned. Everything is figure outable. You can, you can learn things. If you don't want to do it, that's a different case. If you don't want to do it, I would st- still say that you can be authentic. Of course you can. You can actually write things from yourself. If you're writing an email, make it from you as the founder. I would say that if you are using your hands and doing a voiceover, that's a really good first step into showing what you're doing without showing your face and speaking to camera. There are lots of ways that you can be authentic without actually showing your face.
1: I think I'm going to use the term figureoutable. Somewhere in an article or in this podcast. Please. I
2: should probably credit Marie folio She is a podcaster in America and she wrote a book called Everything is outable and I didn't even need to read the book because that those three words I was like, yes, that I agree wholeheartedly.
1: Everything is outable. Yes. Okay, I'm going to be looking that one up.
0: <laughs> she might send us a book if we say one might. more time. She <laughs> might. Everything is figureoutable.
1: If you sell anything online, yeah. buy that book. <laughs> now looking to the future, Hero Packaging recently crowdfunded 1.5 million million dollars to yes. scale up your US operations. What is the blue sky vision, or I should say green sky vision, mm. and how can we get involved?
2: So what we are doing is we are trying to be the go-to packaging company for sustainable business or any business around the world. So what we want to do is change people's thinking instead of just sending packaging to them. We want to educate them on why we are doing compostable packaging. So in America, what we know is that there is no compostable packaging company that is A go-to company. So that's what we're trying to do. What we also know is that they don't have compost bins in a New York apartment. So we're also trying to solve that problem. And my job as the CEO is to push ideas forward and really be creative about how can we at that end of life of a mailer or end of life of packaging, how can we be creative and get people to do the right thing rather than just put it into landfill. So that $1.5 million, it's awesome. We're going to take it to market to the USA, to even you, Europe, to the UK, everywhere that we can, we want to be there. But the main thing for me is taking a portion of those funds and putting it into education and that is putting it into schools and starting kids young and making it really exciting to do the right thing and then also taking it all the way to university and we're about to partner with a major university too and just having those funds gives us that sense of, okay we can do this, we can take it to that next level and not worry because before that it's all bootstrapped. So we're pulling it out of our mortgage. We're trying to take profits of the business and put it back in. And, and now we feel like, okay, we can grow this thing. We know we're doing the right thing and we've got some funds to back us.
0: It's interesting that you mentioned the education piece as well, because I think that's so important. So,
2: you know yourself, like you, something
0: comes in the mail or you get a parcel or whatever and you're like, oh, this bit can go in that bin, mm. this bit can go here. What about this bit? I don't know if that can go in the yellow bin. Can it go in the, the food waste thing, even though it's not food but it's cornstarch, you know, those little <laughs> puppy yes. things? It's like it's there's so much that people don't know about recycling. Do you think um, for you is there – Any plans to get more involved in that space?
2: Absolutely. So we're talking to councils and we're talking to a major university in Australia and what we're going to do is do a lot of research around that end of life and a lot of consumer behaviour and their thoughts and perceptions of this material and then how we're going to implement something where they can actually do the right thing and it's super easy for them. So Randwick Council has FOGO bins, which is those food organic green bins that you can just dump all your food waste and any compostable materials into a green bin. It's easy for people to do. So I'm thinking, why aren't all councils doing that? So it's our job to now talk to councils, take the research from university and take that to councils and say, hey, if we do if we do that and we help you to create these FOGO bins in your council, are you going to do it? Because we know that consumers are going to start doing the right thing.
1: So often it, it takes a local some on a really local level on a grassroots level something that's happening there and going how can we scale that how can we replicate that how can we do that in different areas mm. so it's really admirable that that's what you know you're working with councils and going all right they're doing something good we can combine we can partner with you yes on this journey because it is actually something that we should all be you know invested in you know we are we've you know, we've, we've all care about the environment. We want to, we want the best outcomes. We want to have better ways of doing things. You want to save the planet.
2: Absolutely. But you also want to do it in the easiest way possible. And that's also my job, which (laughs) is quite challenging.
1: Well, that is a brilliant note uh, to end on. We could actually talk for much longer, but um, you're very busy, Anita, and we really appreciate your time and your insights. So thank you so much for joining us on First Act. Uh, For anyone listening, Head to heropackaging.com.au for more info or sellanythingonline.com.au to buy Anita's book. And don't forget to follow her on TikTok at sellanythingonline. That's right. That's right. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, thank you again, Anita. Thank
2: you, guys. It was just an awesome conversation. Thank you.
1: And, of course, join us next week for another fantastic First Act Conversation.